0: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So, what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
1: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP 01005.
0: We'll take plenty of movement in there. On by Perisic and Kane is there. The breakthrough at last. The greatest one season wonder in Premier League history. It was so good we wanted to play that goal twice. Not sure quite what happened there in the edit. Anyway, we are talking English Premier League football. Guy McRae, outstanding broadcaster out of the UK, who is a big Spurs fan, joins us on the programme now to talk all things English Premier League. Guy McRae, good evening. Welcome.
1: Hey, Mark. Good to hear from you and everything. Good to speak to you again. First time, I think, this season in the new uh, new EPL season for us. So, uh, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff.
0: Let's talk about your mob, 1-0 over Wolves. But I think it's probably fair to
1: say... Wolves probably deserved a point didn't they uh yeah I mean I was at the game um for the first time this season I couldn't get to the Southampton game with uh, working at the Commonwealth Games but uh yeah I was there Mark it's Mark it's difficult those fixtures those twelve thirty kickoffs uh I'd say first of all something's got to be done about this from a from a entertainment perspective from a fan perspective it's just difficult all round and I I make that point because I think it affected the game uh, a little bit. I think it affected Spurs a lot in the first half. You're right. Uh, Wolves were, as they always are, very well-drilled, very tactically uh, astute in the first half, restricted Spurs. You know, that amazing front three uh, that Spurs have got of Kane, Son and Kulisevsky, to not very much. Um, second half was a little bit different though Um, overall I I think Spurs started to move through the gears a little bit more, it's an interesting one though because I think three games into the season the the consensus here in uh, in around London, in the UK is with this Spurs team, it hasn't really got completely going on all cylinders yet and for all that it's still two wins and the last minute draw at Chelsea as well at the same time, so maybe that's a good thing for Spurs Mm -hmm. that they're not absolutely firing yet, yet are still seven points out of nine.
0: Yeah, I'll get you just, for our listeners out there, just to give us a little bit of an update on the transfer window over the summer, what players Spurs Mm. recruited and how those recruits have performed so far for Spurs and what impact they have had on the team.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. A lot of discussion around that, around Spurs fans on Saturday, uh, because actually if you look at the Spurs team, I mean, we'll go on to talk about other Premier League teams, how they started the season, if you look at the Spurs team, it's the same team uh, from last season that uh, memorably, of course, uh, went past Arsenal and sealed fourth in the Premier League to get into the Champions League this season. In terms of the new signings, you still get that feeling Antonio Conte's trying to integrate them in, into what was a very successful team at the end of last season, and um, the guy that uh, your listeners will know quite a bit about, following European football and everything else, uh, who really has started to shine the last couple of games, uh, is the signing. He's had the impact. Predictably, is Ivan Perisic, uh, the Croatian. Absolutely superb. Spurs' best player on Saturday, uh, of course, created. It was his corner that created the last minute equaliser for Harry Kane at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea as well Uh, so he's starting to shine he's coming in it's going to be interesting with Spurs over the coming weeks when we get the return of the UEFA Champions League we then go to Saturday Wednesday Saturday at the moment they're playing one game a week so Conte can play his established first 11 but we're going to see these signings I think from Spurs come into full force in the coming weeks when you've got those Champions League games so then you get a Eve Besuma, who was signed from Brighton, for example, uh, coming in there. Uh, the fullback as well, Jed Spence, who was signed from Middlesbrough, a young talent. Can these guys start to force their way in? Notably, the guy I've completely forgotten to mention as well is Richarlison, uh, who was signed from Everton, who at the moment has been having very good impacts on these opening few fixtures. But he's going to play as well in the coming weeks. He's huge, potentially, for Spurs. Established Premier League uh, forward was so important, of course, in keeping Everton up last season. Uh, It's going to be massive, that, to see how Conte can integrate players in uh, in these coming weeks, because he's going to have to. That was the criticism of Spurs last season. There wasn't enough rotation. Well, Conte said, I haven't got the bench options. He does now. So let's kind of watch that space over the coming weeks see how he brings these new signings into the team in the matches to come.
0: You weren't a Richarlison fan. Have you changed your mind?
1: (laughs) Mark, you're always good with all the questions here. It's an interesting one. Um, With three matches in, what I would say uh, is that in this season of the five subs permanently through the season, and of course, as we all know, with the World Cup break coming in, with Spurs trying to attack on all those fronts, Maybe I've been a a little bit short-sighted about this. Maybe, actually, this is the signing that Spurs need. You've got the established Brazilian centre-forward there, someone who, as I say, has got Premier League-proven experience, albeit with Everton, not at the level of Spurs, of course, Everton, but someone who knows the Premier League, and crucially, Mark, someone who can play across those front three positions uh, for Spurs as well. So if you're looking to rest, Son Heung-min, you're Looking to set rest uh, Dejan Sefsky, or you're looking to rest Harry Kane uh, for a match. He could come in and play any of those positions. So, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm starting to just soften on that a bit. I would say as well, the fans have taken to him immediately. That was my impression. Obviously, I'm I'm there in the home end in the South Stand at Spurs. You can tell when he comes on, he gets people standing up because of his effort, uh, commitment, and his quality as well. So. Yeah, maybe maybe I was wrong on that one initially. He could have a big role to play this season for Spurs.
0: I want to talk about Aston Villa, 1-1 one, one out of 3, um, beaten 3-0 by Crystal Palace over the weekend. How much pressure is Steven Gerrard under? Is he under pressure? I,
1: I think so, Mark. Uh, it's the nature of the English Premier League. Um, money's been spent there. Uh, obviously, there's the wider narrative. Let's not forget that with Steven Gerrard oh, this is an opportunity for him over the next couple of years, should two or three years' time Jurgen Klopp leave Liverpool, kind of assume that this was going to be a big role for him as an audition, in a sense, to see could he cut it at Anfield in the future. Well, it's not working uh, at the moment, by all accounts. Um, There's a lot of talent in that Villa team, uh, but what we've seen so far this season from them, it's just strange, strange performances. Uh, You know, Crystal Palace played well. Uh, at the weekend, but you go a goal up there early on, Ollie Watkins put them in front and then just seem to stop playing, uh, which was bizarre, really. That's, I think, the main criticism of Gerard's team at the moment is, what's the identity? You know, it's something we've talked about quite a bit when Spurs have had their ups and downs. You've asked me about this. What do you want as a fan, ultimately, with a team? You want evidence of a style of play, of an identity, of the way you're going to approach matches. And I think that's the problem with Aston Villa at the moment is their fans are going, OK, well, how are we actually, we've got all these players, how are we actually approaching these games? They're not really sure. I think that's a, you know, a big part of the problem. Mm.
0: Now, I'm going to bring up the team that's top of the table at the moment, and you hate them with an absolute <laughs> passion. Arsenal, you hate them with an absolute passion, but in the first game of the season, beating Crystal Palace 2-0, then beating Leicester City 4-2, then a 3-0 win against Bournemouth. Are they the real deal, or are they just a team like so many teams that start the English Premier League season off with a bit of a hiss and a roar, only to start to fade once they pick up a few injuries?
1: I was waiting for this question above all. Um, I thought this one might have been coming. Uh, (laughs) They started well. Um, I think that, that, there are a hurt, few that hurts things you, doesn't
0: that, it? That hurts you to say that, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I think that's fair. I, I think what we need to, I think we need to get a bit of perspective. Guna fans, I think, are going completely overboard. It says a lot about their football club and where they're at and what they've experienced in the past few years of mediocrity. <laughs> um, I think that they're going completely overboard after three wins. I think it's a good start to the season. I think we need a bit of context here. Spurs won their, uh, their first three games of last season under Nuno Espirito Santo. And then we know where that went over the next couple of months. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Arsenal. I think they're in a better place than uh, Santo's Spurs were, uh, for instance, last season, after the, even after those first three wins. I think they've strengthened very knowledgeably. Uh, The the two that they signed from Man City are fantastic players uh, in Alexander Sinjenko and Gabriel Jesus. You've seen that in the first three games. I think they've got their first team fit and available for Mikel Arteta, which is important. Not a lot of talk around this, but I think from following the Premier League, Thomas Partey is absolutely massive for Arsenal. If he gets injured at any point in the season, I don't really. I think that weakens them. I don't really see a like-for-like replacement um, overall. I think they'd be weaker for that. And obviously, with Jesus, you know, the the impact that he's made has been incredible. It's been really interesting, Mark, to see him because this is a guy who was obviously involved uh, in Manchester City's English Premier League title wins. But he was always seen, wasn't he, as a bit of a bit part player. He was never, you know, even when Pep Guardiola. They said there's no number nine, no out-and-out centre-forward. He never seemed to play, not like Erling Braut Haaland is now playing all the time. You know, the established has come in, this killer centre-forward. Jesus is revelling already in that, that he knows he's going to play every week. He's clearly got ability. He's talented. Zinchenko brings that experience as well. I think for Arsenal, watch this space again on them. It's a good start to the season with respect to the teams they've beaten. That's good. It's good for top four. Uh, overall to have got those wins, as you say, over away at Palace is a good one to beat Leicester and then win at Bournemouth, albeit newly promoted. But it's three wins. Let's see overall. I think this is going to be be a weird season. I mean, we've said that before, haven't we, with the COVID seasons, how uh, unusual they've been. But this season, we've got this start, then we've got this seven-week break for the FIFA World Cup, and then we come back again overall from there with all the impact potentially of that. There's a lot that's going on here. And I just hold on Arsenal a little bit at the moment for all that the start is great for them, the first three games. They haven't played any of those, the rest of their top six rivals yet. And we all know what happened, for instance, in May when Spurs absolutely smashed them uh, overall to take fourth from them uh, on, on the way to that. So hey, hey, it's, so, a, good sorry, start, just, it's just, a good start. It's just, a good start. But let, let's uh, not go overboard.
0: Yeah, just remind me, what's the score in that Arsenal spurs game from last season?
1: Uh, which one the second one the one that mattered
0: 3-0 uh, 3-0 no just just yeah sorry i, I just
1: yeah just yeah.
0: It, that, oh no no i i, 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 I greatly
1: said... appreciate you reminding everyone no, of it no it was, no no i was going to no, play, no, no. play i, I, I was going to play a little bit thing,
0: of sort of i was going to play some lovely little sort of you know love songs to midnight underneath it as you said it mate because you said it with such beauty you said it with such beauty guy hey um thomas <laughs> Tuchel, another uh, uh, another manager that spurs <laughs> fans just absolutely love where are Chelsea, where are the plastics at, getting beaten 3-0 by Leeds on the weekend? Who picked that?
1: Yeah, I don't know who picked that. I mean, it's the first time, isn't it, in 20 years that Leeds have beaten Chelsea in the in the Premier League. Uh, they were fantastic. Let's not take anything, you know, we need to focus on that. Jesse Marsh, there's been a lot of, the American coach, there's been a lot of uh, talk around, his E up to the job? But he started, Leeds have actually started the season very well. You know, a word for them. But Chelsea, naturally, a lot of focus falls um, on them, they've spent 170 million pounds over the summer uh, on players. That impression, that transfer window though, wasn't really. You look at Spurs, you look at Arsenal, that there was, there was uh, clarity in terms of who they were looking to sign as well. That there was, it was part of a plan. You don't really get that with Chelsea overall. Todd Bowley's come in, obviously the big takeover, taking over from Roman Abramovich there. It's disrupted things. It doesn't seem a very clearly thought-out transfer window. Raheem Sterling's coming, obviously a very good player. Khalidou Koulibaly as well. He got sent off uh, yesterday. He was good against Spurs. The thing is, these players, for all that, Mark, I'm looking at that and going, they haven't replaced Romelu Lukaku. They don't have a number nine. I mean, you, you look at the rest of the top six, their top six rivals. Mention Haaland with City. Darwin Nunes, of course, got a red card last time out, but he's going to be the number nine overall for Liverpool as well. Looks a fantastic player. Um, Spurs, Harry Kane, best forward in Europe, uh, in my opinion. Arsenal, Jesus, who's, who's come in, we've talked about already. But Chelsea, you've got Raheem Sterling there playing at Leeds. Not really a centre forward. He kind of comes in from wide positions. And you think for a club of that stature, not to why didn't they sign Gabriel Jesus? You know, that that's the problem. And I think that's going to continue to hurt them. Uh, is Koulibaly, for all his ability, is he really the top-line uh, central defender that Chelsea were looking for to replace Antonio Rudiger who'd gone to Real Madrid? That's the thing. It's just little fault lines here in their approach, which I think is going to hurt Thomas Tuchel um, going forward. And it particularly, Mark, it gives real interest to both Arsenal and Spurs over the course of the season. Because if you think Man City are a lock for the top four, are people's favourites to win the Premier League again, you think also that Liverpool are going to be in the top four at the end of it, are too good a team to be missing out on that, even if maybe over the course of the season, trying to win the Premier League again is too much, and they're going to be in the top four. That leaves two spots. Well, historically, Chelsea have taken one of those spots over the last few years. But I think both Arsenal and Spurs, we talked about both of them at length, are thinking over the season, we can knock our London rivals out of the top four here. They're not quite at it like we are. Um, So I do think it's concerning for Chelsea. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the remainder of the transfer window for them, whether they address some of the points I've talked about, notably the need for a number nine, the need for a striker. They're being linked with with Wesley Fofana from Leicester as a centre-back. Good player. Is he any better than Koulibaly? Is he as good as Rudiger? He's not as good as Rudiger. So they're focusing a lot of attention. They're talking a £70 million deal for him. But I'd be saying if they've got that money available, they need to be going after a centre-forward because that, for me, is going to be their biggest problem uh, over the course of the season for Chelsea.
0: Fifteen and a half minutes after 10, you're listening to SENZ. Feel free to text us here on the programme, Double eight, double three. Guy McRae is my guest on the programme. We're talking all things English Premier League. Newcastle, Eddie Howe. How good a manager is he? And a Newcastle potentially that team that could determine the outcome of the English Premier League outside of those big established clubs?
1: Yeah, this is a really good one. I mean, I've I've rated um, Eddie Howe for a long time. Uh, When Spurs were going through managers before, they've got now Antonio Conte there. I was talking about getting Eddie Howe in uh, at the lane as well for Spurs a really smart young manager who thinks at things differently he talked about it uh, in terms of the match against Manchester city, how he had to approach it about taking risk about tactically, how they looked at it. They're interesting. Newcastle, because there was not, there was a common consensus when they had the takeover They were just going to go and splash money regardless and just get everyone. I mean, there was talk about about getting Haaland in, about Mbappe, everyone else, the biggest names in in world football in terms of uh, managers as well. But they're smart so far, I think, because what they've done, you look at their recruitment, Eddie Howe's come in, a man who knows the Premier League, a younger English manager. And then you look at the players. They've got an English core through that team, uh, overall players who know the Premier League. Um, and adding to the talent that they already had, they definitely are a bit of a spoiler this season. I don't think they're strong enough yet to... We talked about top four. I don't think over the season they've got quite enough yet, although clearly in seasons to come, they are going to be a contender for top four and a lot more with the uh, the financial resources that they've got. Um, in terms of top six or top seven, definitely. I think what we saw against Manchester City, this early contender for Premier League game of the season... Uh, was Eddie Howe's influence the mixture, the blend that they have got, and then you've got this X factor of okay, what could they do in January? Who, who could they bring in? And they've got that fan base up there as well. Everyone knows how difficult St James's Park is to go to as well uh, to try and get a result. They just asked Arsenal back in May when when they were, you know, they were never in that match against them. That ultimately cost them the fourth place. Um, So they are really interesting this season, Newcastle I think they also summarise, Mark uh, Where the English Premier League is at Why I think people love the Premier League It's not just the tribalism, the passion of it It's also the fact that you look at the teams You look at any weekend You talked about some of those results already Leeds against Chelsea How many leagues, how many of the top European leagues Do you get that number of results Those sorts of performances uh, overall, where the champions for the past five years in Manchester City go up there to Newcastle and frankly have done very well to draw 3-0 uh, in that game, came from 3-1 down. It's an extremely competitive league. Yes, Man City have dominated along with Liverpool at the top end, but I think the, one of the reasons people love the English Premier League so much is you look at the fixtures any weekend, even a team from lower down, if they raise their level, they can win the match. Mm. They believe that, and that's what we've seen uh, again in these few games of the season.
0: Another one of, I guess, the big news stories is West Ham. Haven't won a game, sitting second to bottom on the English Premier League. Uh, Mm -hmm. David Moyes, highly respected, but I'd imagine if this continues, the knives will come out. Didn't do a lot in terms of the transfer window. Still a couple more weeks remaining. Not a lot of support there for Declan Rice. What do you make of West Ham?
1: Sorry for them as the Spurs fan to see what they're going through. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's uh, for them, strange performances. They were at it in their, in their Europa Conference League game in the week. But in the Premier League, where it really matters so far, strange, as you suggest, kind of levels of performance, really lethargic, not really performances that they produced under David Moyes, particularly at home. Um, they're a weird one um, overall looking at them because you look at their team, they've got they've got plenty of quality. Jared Bowen hasn't really... I know he got a goal in the European game in the week, but in the opening Premier League games, he's not really fired. He was clearly very important for them. He's been important for them the last couple of years. Mikel Antonio not really added in the Premier League. And the big thing, Mark, is with David Moyes' teams, you look at them defensively in terms of their back four. He doesn't really rotate. You look at back four... For them, which which is the bedrock of any team, their successes, but for West Ham, no different. It's it's vulnerable uh, at the moment. And Brighton, a very well-drilled, organised team with with enough creativity. Danny Welbeck was there, Leandro Trossard, all of them going at, at West Ham. And whereas West Ham normally would be more solid at dealing with that sort of threat, you never got that impression uh, mm-hmm. against Brighton. So I think Moyes has got a lot to work out. It's a, I'm not really sure I've got an answer to that. You know, you look at them. It is only three games in, but the fundamentals of how Moyes has built that team to be a top seven, top eight team and and be there just aren't there in the first few games. They're they're giving away goals and they don't really, their key attacking players are not really at it yet either. They're playing with a kind of a lethargy as well. So, yeah, we'll have to see how they they go uh, over the coming weeks. But clearly any team that starts a season in that way. Uh, the way they've done at the bottom of the Premier League, is going to come under pressure because this is the ultimate results league. Uh, As we know, any manager, however well they've done, and Moyes has done very, very well at West Ham, you start losing a run of fixtures with the media, with the pressure, with just just interest around the league uh, in the UK and worldwide. It's, uh, it's going to grow on you, that pressure.
0: Yeah, and I tell you what, it's mouthwatering because I think it's West Ham-Aston Villa this weekend, so Stephen Gerrard and <laughs> David Moyes. Now look, before we let you go, let's preview the game that takes place about 7 o'clock tomorrow morning New Zealand time. It's Manchester United at home to Liverpool. The greatest rivalry in English Premier League football, or certainly perceived by the rest of the world anyway. Uh, might not be quite as mm. big as Spurs-Arsenal, but we can have that debate another time there, <laughs> Guy. Um, oh, I mean, everybody's expecting Liverpool to get the job done, but is it harder? For Liverpool, because of the rivalry, to go and win.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel I should be asking you the questions here, Mark. <laughs> for all on this, like, Yeah, but, um, I, but I, no, I, this I, is, I won't. I won't.
0: I'll be, I won't be impartial.
1: Yeah, but I'm not impartial on Spurs. Neither <laughs> <am>. <laughs> no, um, no. This, this is the biggest game. Uh, Overall, I think in terms of fan bases and interest in the world, I actually would argue that this is the biggest game in world for, in, in club well, football. It's it's uh, five hundred.
0: It's five hundred million worldwide minimum, and I said that earlier tonight yeah. on the program. This is arguably the biggest single sporting event annually in the world.
1: Twice yeah. a year. Yeah, I, a I, year. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah, I, I go along with that. I mean, it's huge tonight. It's particularly interesting tonight this one for me uh, because. As you say, Liverpool in recent years, much the stronger team, have been winning trophies. Man United haven't been doing any of that since 2017. And, you know, they're well short of it, well off. Um, But the starts to the season that the two have made, I mean, we look at them respectively here. You know, Liverpool, after, you know, you look at those five years, they've won a Premier League, but the other two, two of the other seasons losing out by one point, that was all to Manchester City. So with the bar that City you know, set there, they're thinking, okay, first two games, is you know, Fulham and Palace, we've got to get six points here. Well, they only have two. So already the pressure's building on them. That's not the sort of start that you associate with Liverpool to a Premier League season. Normally Klopp gets them. I mean, they go out and just, as you know, Mark, go and absolutely steamroll the teams to begin the season. That hasn't really happened for a number of reasons. Um United, well, we all <laughs> know with them, Eric Ten Hag, Even for you, Mark, you've got to feel a little bit sorry, I suppose, to Ten Hage. He's come in, trying to wipe the slate clean. Doesn't really, I feel, get backed by the Man United board in terms of transfer policy. We know what's been going on with Frankie de Jong with Barcelona. I think there's also a bit of that as well. De Jong doesn't doesn't really want to go to Man United, which I think is a problem they've got right now. They still think we're Man United under Sir Alex Ferguson. We're a huge club, biggest club in the world. They build themselves... It doesn't seem like the top players really want to go there anymore at the moment. And there's reasons for that. No Champions League football, no trophy since 2017. They might be a huge club paying big wages, uh, but they're not quite at it overall. And then you have this Cristiano Ronaldo saga hanging over Ten Hag as well, where he wants to wipe the slate clean, move forward. And then Ronaldo, is he going? Is he not? Right the way through here for just over another week to the end of the transfer window. So this is fascinating because you 've got two teams for different reasons the biggest game in the Premier League in uh, to the world in terms of the English Premier League and its spectacle but you 've got two teams for different reasons who really really need a win tonight and, you know overall they really really do Liverpool need to get that first win get the what they 'll hope will be the title push going they need to get that into here and United just needs something here um Ten Hag's come in he 's lost a couple of matches again, come back to that theme with the Premier League of a results business, we've seen managers dispensed with pretty quickly. I'm not saying, again, that's going to happen to him here. He's only had a couple of games. But Man United, it's a huge... Whatever that I say, OK, they're not what they were. They're a massive club overall, as we know in terms of the interest. As you say, you know, in New Zealand, throughout New Zealand think about who's going to be watching this game, you know, tonight. All around the world, they're going to be watching this, thinking, can Man United get this together? There's been no a uh, real semblance of how Ten Hag wants them to play so far. They've been extremely poor in their first two matches. They have the home advantage tonight. Uh, Liverpool go there. I think the final thing to say, Mark, on this is, as you say, we last season, Liverpool won easily, memorably 5-0 there at Old Trafford, then win 4-0 at Anfield. Is it going to be that one-sided? You can't believe it's going to be as one-sided as that tonight. United in front of their own fans, Liverpool over the years as well. I know they won handily last season. But Liverpool have struggled there a little bit, as you'll know, over the years. Even when they've come in as the favourite, United can get a draw against them or turn up, really, really deliver a performance. So that's going to be the fascinating thing tonight. Can United, with no real established form run into this, nothing suggesting that they're going to get something out of this game in front of their home fans. Can they upset Liverpool? Liverpool needing that win, the pressure starting to build on them. It's going to be really interesting tonight to see which of those two massive get their first Premier League win of the season.
0: Guy McRae, lovely to have you on the programme. Hey, sorry, I was just, just forgot. What was the score game between Spurs and Arsenal towards the end of last season? <laughs> Was it 3-0? 12th of May 2022?
1: Yeah, Tottenham Hotspur three, Arsenal now. Oh, you're a beautiful, yeah. you're a beautiful
0: uh, man, guy. McCray. Extremely you're, memorable. <laughs> you're in a very platonic way, you're a beautiful man. Lovely to have you on the program, guy. Look, enjoy Liverpool United. Well done on your Spurs team so far this season. Brilliant. Speak to you next time, Mark. Cheers, man. Thank you.